0: Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Marty Judah. This particular portion, beginning here in Deuteronomy chapter 11, um, is a portion in which it has an intriguing word for its title, Re'eh, See. And it's the word see that we use in very common way of our speech in which that when somebody says to another man, he says, well, he says, this is the way I see it. Or maybe you've heard the expression, well, I don't see it that way. In other words, it's the word that we use for see when we're actually talking about choices that we've made. And what this passage is about is about making choices and God through Moses, is speaking to the children of Israel and saying, See, I've set some choices before you. I've set before you a blessing and a curse. And really what I want you to do, it's kind of obvious, I want you to choose the blessing. I want you to choose to do that which is right and that which is correct. But it deals with a, a real fundamental set of things that we, make, we all make choices about in our life. And this is going to give us a little bit of a, a, a review of our life, uh, choices that we all make uh, in the course of living. And if we choose that which the Lord, the way the Lord sees it, so to speak, then we're choosing the way of the Lord. But if we choose the way we see it, then we're choosing not the Lord's way. And so what Moses is going to do is present to us a series of choices. In the course of, uh, of uh, going through this, and let me move to the next slide real quickly, I'm going to categorize for you really what, what is going to be presented to us in the first passages of this scripture. He's going to make mention of a Mount Gerizim and a Mount Ebal. These two mountains are in Israel, and they're located in a community called Shechem. Shechem is the Hebrew word that actually means shoulders. And if you could picture the little uh, illustration, I'm sure you've seen this before. You see a man standing with his two shoulders, and on one shoulder is this angel, and on the other shoulder is this little devil. And you know the idea that, that you make a choice with your shoulders between good and evil. The The cartoonist got that illustration from this teaching portion. Because that's what the illustration is here, that on every man's shoulders, there are choices. And in Israel, there is a set of mountains called Mount Gerizim and Ebal, in which he put blessing on one, curses on the other. And he said, Israel, make a choice, make choices concerning the Lord. On one is blessing, on the other is curse. And what it really comes down to is these are the choices that we all make. We can make choices between what's called tova, good, and ra'ot, evil. Actually, I want you to take note of those two words because tova is singular and ra'ot is plural. Evils is really what it is, but evil is meant in a plural form. Goodness is one way. Evils are whole choices of the other ways. And what God is trying to get us to do is to focus, is to say, focus on the one good way, as opposed to all the choices of all the evil ways that there are. Make your choice for good. Make your choice for blessing. And so the scripture begins for us. Follow along with me as I read Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 26. See. I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. There is one God that has blessing but there's a host of other gods that will lead you astray. A host of other gods. Now, let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. There really is only one God. I mean, it's almost a, a fiction that there's other gods. So the, the choice here is not that we're, there really are multiple gods out there to choose from. It's that there's one God. There's Tova. There's good. There's none good but one. Or... You can go around faking yourself following after false gods, which is evils, raot. And you can make anything into a god if you want to by making the choice for it. In effect, every time you make a choice away from the Lord, you have made that thing to be God, a God. Because if you've not chosen the one true God, then obviously this must be God. And you've made it a God in an attempt to make it above the one true God, whether you realize it or not. So that's the reason why he says follow God, one, or not follow after other gods, other things that might be lifted up above God. Now, what will follow hereafter? And let me read just a little bit further. Verse 29 And it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you are entering to possess it, that you shall place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not across the Jordan, west of the way toward the sunset, in the land of the Canaanites, who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal, beside the oaks of Moray? Now I want you to note... Everybody knows where Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal is. I mean, the children of Israel, we we know this. The main route that goes north and south through the land cuts up through the Sumerian Mountains, and it goes right between those two mountains at Shechem. It's the major north-south route right through the heart of the land. And if you were to go to Israel and you were going to go north, right straight through the middle of the land, up through the Sumerian Mountains, you would come to Shechem. There's no question about it. But here they are standing on the other side of the Jordan, and, and Moses goes through this elaborate question, this five-part question of asking, you know where it's at? Is it not? And he says, is it not on the other side of the Jordan, the way of the sun over there to the west? Is it not over there? And he poses these five descriptions for it. And it's really kind of a subtle, poetic way of getting you to focus. Because what follows in this portion is God is going to group together five areas of decisions to make. There are five areas that you need to make some choices in your life. And it's very interesting what Moses groups is these five areas that you need to make choices about. And the choices, there's clear choices in these five areas as to what you should do and how you should live what you should think, and who you should be. And it begins to go through. Let me just summarize for you what those five are. He's going to present some choices to you about God. You have to make some choices about God. The second area is about other people, including spiritual leaders, your family, friends, your community, where you work, other people. He's going to make ask you to make some choices about what you call food, And some choices about what you do with your money. And some choices about how you will worship God. How you will observe and practice your faith. And basically what Moses is going to present to us is these five areas. We're going to go through these five areas. And I'm going to show you what Moses presents to us as these are choices that we have to make. And you're going to find them very reminiscent to choices that you've already had to make. In some cases, choices that you uh, made relatively easily you you you're going to do a little inventory here when we go through this and you're going to say okay well i've made that choice okay good we've made that choice and then you're going to see some areas that maybe you're in the process of making some choices about gee i've i've been considering that i'm weighing that and then maybe we might find some areas where you haven't made that choice and maybe you need to make that choice it's very interesting how Moses groups these and presents them because these are broad-based issues and they will be a determinant based on how you observe and how you make these choices as to whether or not you're following in the way that God has said, I want you to walk, as opposed to maybe your way of way you want to walk. So let us proceed to look at what these choices are. If we go to the next passage of Scripture, over into chapter 12, Moses says, beginning at verse 1, These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their dispossessed serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their asherim with fire. And you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and you shall obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. So the first choices that we have to do with God is that God says, your behavior toward me is not going to be like other nations. Your behavior in following me is not going to be after the pattern that other men have said and other men have done. You're going to follow in accordance with what I have said, the Lord says. Now, quite honestly, in the course of most people's a spiritual walk, there comes a time in their life when they are confronted with this. And frequently, many people who have come to Messianic congregations, particularly who've grown up in other New Covenant congregations, one of the most fundamental questions that they have to come to terms with, a decision, a choice they have to make, has to do with this simple thing. And I'm sure that you've you've heard this before. Well, that's not the way we did it back there. You ever heard the story about the fellow who came from California, came to work, you know, here in one of the other states, and he was working at the job, and the first, he made a big mistake one day. He said, well, you know, this is not the way we did it back in California. <laughs> and all the other fellow workers, you know, you could just read what was going through their mind. I've, I've been in businesses where I heard that said, and I, and I know what went through people's minds. They said, look, we don't care what they do in California. You know, this is the way we do it here. And if I could take that analogy for a moment, the Lord is kind of saying that to you this way. Look, I don't care where you've been and the way you used to do it. You know, we're going to do it my way. I'm going to specify the way that we'll do it, and we'll do it that way. I don't care that it's different. It's okay if it's different. And actually, it's to your advantage that it's different because you don't want to do what those other guys have done over there. As we get older and older in our life, we come to the point where we don't want to make any more of those decisions. Especially, we, we want to kind of hope that we've made the right decision sometime earlier in the life and we've been kind of doing the right thing for a while. And, and older people do not like to be confronted with the question, all of a sudden they've been plunking along for 20, 25, 30, 40 years doing something, and all of a sudden they see a new way of doing it and they don't want to learn the new way of doing it. I have heard brethren who've been faithful in their various congregations where they've grown up in, where they've learned and so forth, suddenly confronted with the truth of Scripture and discovered that what God actually said is something different than what they've been doing. And you talk about a tough decision. That is a hard decision for some of those people to do. I know of one man who said to me one day, for 27 years, I have been doing this over here. And you're now telling me that what I was doing over there wasn't quite right, that I should have been doing this. And I said, Brother, it's not me telling you. It's the Lord that says that. Now, the question is, do you want to do it the way the Lord says to do it, or do you want to continue to do it the way you and other men have been doing it? That is a hard decision. One of the first decisions that you have to make If you're going to walk uprightly before the Lord, are you going to do it the way other people have been doing it? Or are you going to make a decision to do it the way the Lord says to do it? Regardless of how many other people have been doing it the other way. That is a fundamental choice that you have to make about serving God. And it's usually a very difficult choice for people. When you're younger and you haven't made any choices, you haven't done it any other way, it's easy to go the Lord's way. But if you've already kind of made some choices and already done it the other way, This is hard. This is hard to be confronted with. Just take the issue just of that business about Saturday, Sabbath, and Sunday. For you to come in this assembly, most of you have been in a Sunday observance church. I certainly was. And I was told when I was there that that was the right and proper way, and I did it for a long time. In fact, as you know by my testimony, I was a Baptist minister. I used to teach people that. And then I was confronted with some scripture and then a whole bunch more scripture and then scripture on top of that scripture. And there wasn't a whole lot of testimonies of other people standing up and saying, well, Monty, actually what the Lord says is about if you want to observe on the one day a week, it's, it's on Sabbath. Now, I knew about some scriptures over there, but I dismissed them and, and I struggled with it. You know what? It came down. It finally came down to I have to make a decision. Am I going to do what the Lord has said or am I going to continue to do what other men have been doing, which I've been doing with them? What you're really making as choice is not about Sabbath. You're making a choice. I'm going to do what the Lord says. I'm going to do it the way the Lord sees it, not the way I see it, and not the way other men see it. So he starts off and he says, says, you're not going to follow after them. You're going to follow after me. That's the choice that you have to make concerning me. Verse 5, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God chooses from all your tribes to establish his name there, his dwelling there you shall come. You shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do at all what we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. You ever heard a guy make the expression, well, you know, that's not the way I see it. That's not supposed to be the determinant. What's supposed to be the determinant is which way does the Lord see it? Because what we're really making is a fundamental decision. Who's going to be God? Me. Then we'll do it the way I see it. But if I'm not God, then we need to find him, pay attention to what he said, and what did he say? Then we'll make him God. You've got to make a choice. you going to be God or is he going to be God? And if you make the choice that he's going to be the God, then you concentrate on what does he say? How does he see it? In fact, if you will look in verse 28, where he summarizes this decision, he says, Be careful to listen to all these words which I command you, in order that it may be well with you and your sons after you forever. For you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. You want blessing? You want good things? Then you have to do it in accordance with the way the Lord sees it. Not in accordance with the way you see it. Not in accordance with the way other men see it. When I was in the Baptist church, I'll never forget one time, a frustrating Experience In a discussion, we were weighing how to do something, and I remember the fellow that was over me in the Lord there, he stood up and he basically made the summary decision on the issue, and he said, well, we're, we're going to do it the, the Baptist way. That discouraged me. I was a Baptist. But I was a Baptist who wanted to do it the Lord's way. And I didn't know at that time until that moment that with that particular pastor I was with that the Baptist way could be anything different from the Lord. But he surely clearly defined it for me. And he flat said that his way, his church's way was different than the way the scripture and the way the Lord had said. Now we have a choice. Do we go the way that way or do we go the way of the Lord? I decided to make a choice to go the way of the Lord that kicked me out. Praise God. Solved my problem real easily. I knew which way to go now. I didn't have any more struggle or problem anymore there. You individually, brethren, at various junctures of your life, not just, I'm, I'm not just picking on the Baptist, I'm speaking to my personal experience there. I'm certain that you have your own experience wherever, where the there's, there's choice has been made to you, should we go that way or the Lord's way? Should we do it the way you see it or the way they see it or the way the Lord sees it? If we're going to make the clear choice for blessing, if we're going to make the clear choice for good, for the right thing, then we're going to see it the way the Lord sees it, not the way we see it. And it may not be necessarily convenient for you at the time that you make the choice. It may cost you, but you're making the right choice if you choose the way the Lord sees it. Now we'll come back to this in a little bit because this will be the, the core thing that is going to be a part of our, our uh, lesson here. We also go to the second category of what we call others. And if you look there in chapter 13, that's when Moses begins to address that. And he begins in chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You should not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God has commanded you to walk. There are three types of people that are going to have a strong effect on you and choices that you make for your life. One is going to be a spiritual leader, a religious leader, such as a prophet prophet comes to you and he speaks to you, Will you naturally have a respect of him because you have the same respect of God. If he's coming speaking the word of God, then you're going to want to hear what he has to say. You're going to submit to him. But I want you to take note of the description of this particular prophet. Even if he does signs and wonders, you know what most people think, you know, if the religious guy gets up here, the prophet guy gets up here and he says something and it happens, if he gets up here And he does signs and wonders. Let's say there's healings. Let's say there's a lot of spiritual phenomenology. A lot of interesting things happen. We think automatically, many of our brethren think automatically, oh, that's of God, we should do it. The scripture clearly says a false prophet can come to you and do signs and wonders. A false leader can do all manner of signs and wonders if that's what you want to follow. But you know back in the days when yeshua was preaching there were a lot of people that were following him but there were only a few people that were really with him when it came down to the time that he did the redemption of israel you know there were 4 or 5000 that were hanging around for lunch and miracles and stuff like that there was only 120 of them in the upper room to receive the holy spirit what happened to the other people what what, what, what how come there wasn't 4 or 5000 up there to get the holy spirit because there's a lot of people in the world brethren who are miracle mongers, they like to be around interesting things. They like to be impressed. They like to be wowed and wooed. And they're kind of shallow. And and things just kind of hit them on the outside, but the deep penetrating things about truth and justice and righteousness, those haven't quite penetrated yet. Those haven't really, they haven't really internalized yet the things of God. And so they're attracted and wooed to some of these outward things. Now, are there true prophets who do signs and wonders? Of course there are. The Messiah. The Messiah came to all kinds of signs and wonders. Praise God. But sometimes people just get caught up in those things and they don't really quite pay attention or the consequences or what that really means, you know, to them. When in, 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 the last few years I've gone out and spoken to many assemblies about prophetic messages, current events that are taking place that clearly are spoken of by the prophets, clearly giving us evidence. We are the last generation. We are the generation, I believe, that we'll see the coming of the Messiah. And they're fascinated, they're interested in those things. But if I mention to them By the way, the prophecy, the clear prophetic commandment of this is, come join with me brother, let's go and observe the Feast of Tabernacles, because the Feast of Tabernacles is God's prophetic instruction to teach us how to prepare for the end of the age, because the Feast of Tabernacles is the first feast that we're going to do when the Messiah comes back. It's the first thing we're going to do in Jerusalem. Maybe we should be familiar with that. If we really believe the Messiah is coming soon, let's keep the Feast of Tabernacles so we'll be ready. And it goes from thousands to a handful. Why? Because now we're translating something into real action. We're internalizing. We're making some choices how we're going to walk before the Lord. And all of a sudden, keeping that feast and maybe doing that other act, it's a little inconvenient. It was convenient for me to come and be impressed with the show. To be dazzled and amazed for a few hours, but now it's now you want me to go out there oh eight days? You want me to leave my home, uh, live in a tent, uh, fellowship with brethren, have a wonderful time? I I don't know. That's inconvenient for me. As minor as that is, it can just cut right through who's really there making choices for the Lord and who's not. And the same thing happened to Yeshua. As long as we're serving lunch, he's got thousands. As long as he says, let's go let's go to Jerusalem and let's get on a cross, no, we don't we don't have too many of those. Let's go do the work of redemption. No, let, let's not do that. Choices. Choices to be made. A spiritual leader may come to you and do signs and wonders, but if he suggests to you that you should depart from the Lord, the scripture says very clearly, you should not supposed to follow that spiritual leader. I don't care if there is signs and wonders. I don't care if he did dazzle you. I don't know if I care if his, his teaching and his message was amazing and interesting and it was a nice show and, and it was impressive. And all, Who cares? If he's not teaching what the Lord really said, why follow after him? Specifically, he lists seven things. Seven things that you better check out a spiritual teacher with. Does he, in fact, teach and do love the Lord? Does he teach and do follow the Lord? Does he teach and do fear the Lord? Does he teach and do, this is the killer, keep his commandments? Boy, we can, pretty well cleans a bunch of them out. How about this one? This one's really good. Listen to his voice. I'm not talking about just any voice. I'm not talking about some spiritual mystical. I'm talking about the voice that was spoken on Mount Sinai that spoke these commandments. Do you hear that voice? Do you hear the voice that commanded those things? Or is that just theology? It amazes me when I listen to various commentators and Bible teachers and so forth wrestling in the new covenant with whether or not the Ten Commandments are still applicable. I want you to think about that for a moment. Major Bible teachers. Seminary professors, men who've committed their life to God, teaching other men who will go out and minister to others, and they're struggling with, I don't know whether my theology um, is in agreement with the Ten Commandments. Mind you, these particular instructions were given by the voice of the living God, which, when it spoke, shook the whole mountain, split trees and rocks, Caused animals to calve instantly. Caused all of the children of Israel to be in utter fear. Begging Moses to go talk to God because we can't stand to hear the voice of God again. These these commandments spoken are the ones we're still struggling with. That That's the one that we're still trying to make a choice over. Whether or not we can listen to the voice. And hear the voice that came from the mountain. Serve God and cling to God. If the spiritual leader, I don't care if he does signs or wonders, if he doesn't do these seven things, Moses says, you're not supposed to be listening to him. You're not supposed to be following after him. Look through these things and see them. Many years ago, this is going back about five years ago, there was a fellow that was out preaching. Very popular preacher. Man, he, I mean, this guy was getting audiences to the tune of thousands. And the thing that seemed to be uh, uh, collecting people up, the, the, the phenomenology, was there was a series of signs and wonders that were going on with it. And specifically the expression, the thing that was happening, is that the people were breaking out in spontaneous laughter. Maybe you heard of this fellow before. And they used to call him the laughing prophet. And he would go out to the assemblies, and as he would preach and he would teach, people would start laughing, and and they were were being very joyous, supposedly, and laughing. And they said this was a sign and a wonder. And in fact, his ministry thing, uh, it said signs and wonders on his ministry thing. At the same time that he was doing this and everybody is going gaga over him, wanting to listen to what he had to say, he was making the following statements. All Scripture prior to the book of Acts, that includes the Old Testament and the Gospels, is of none effect in your faith and has no authority in your spiritual life anymore. This guy didn't chop out half the Bible. This guy took more than two-thirds of it, just threw it away just like that. I had friends, I had brethren who were just dazzled and amazed by this guy. I said, brother, why are you following after this guy? He said, oh, he's he's got signs and wonders. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The, The scripture says very clearly to us, Moses has said to us very clearly, if the man comes and does signs and wonders, but if he doesn't say these things, it's a test. It's a test from God. To see if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Will you listen to what the Lord said? Make some choices here. Moses has given it very clearly to us. We're supposed to make choices the way the Lord sees it. Not the way we see it. The way the Lord has specified. Not the way other people specify. Not even other religious. I don't care if they do miracles. I don't care if they raise people from the dead. If the guy doesn't speak the word that Moses has said is not true. We know Moses, what he said is true. We know that's true. That's fact. Now, let me go a step further, further with you on this. We have a lot of brethren today. And I've written this up in a previous article. We have a lot of brethren today. They're going around suggesting that the Messiah, when he came, that he came teaching and preaching, doing signs and wonders, and saying something different from Moses. That he came to, quote, do away with Moses, to set aside the law of Moses, set, set Moses aside. If Yeshua really came to do that, then according to this scripture here, the instruction of Moses, which preceded him, we should be declaring that Yeshua is a false prophet. I don't care if he did signs and wonders. I don't care if he did come out of the grave. If he's saying something different than what Moses has given us the instruction to follow here, then he can't be the true Messiah. He can't be. And I have a whole bunch of my new covenant brethren running around saying that Yeshua of Nazareth went around teaching that, which is absolutely false. Because Yeshua did not go contrary to anything that Moses said. It's a bunch of churchmen afterwards that are twisting his words and changing what he said. Nor did the apostle Paul go contrary to what Moses said. Nor did the apostle John or James or Peter. Every one of them lined up consistently with what the previous Moses and the prophets said. In fact, it's what Moses and prophets said that gives us our justification to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, because he did fulfill exactly what they said. But the irony of it is, today we have people who make choices, thinking that just because it's signs and wonders, that's good enough. It wasn't good enough for the Messiah. Why would it be good enough today? The Messiah did not come teaching something different than what Moses said. The problem is the people don't know what Moses said, and thus they don't understand what the Messiah said. That's the issue. So the first thing that we have to make a decision, after we made a decision to have God be God instead of us be God, we'll do it the way God says, not the way we say Then we have to decide which sort of spiritual leader we're going to set under, who will have authority over us, who will teach us, who instruct us. And I'm suggesting to you that it ought to line up with Moses, the prophets, with Yeshua, and with the apostles. And it ought to line up that way. And if it doesn't line up with that way, you have another spiritual teacher that is giving you something different from that. You shouldn't be listening to them. Check them out. See if they line up and say what they have said before. And if they don't line up with it, then stop listening to them. Make another choice where you get your spiritual instruction from. The next choice you're going to have to make, and there are many people in this congregation who have had to face this choice, you're going to have to make some choices with regard to your family. A lot of people, when they first come into a messianic assembly, um, and they hear that maybe you're starting to keep Sabbath, and you're doing some Jewish stuff, I mean, you put a kippah on. I mean, you you got the prayer shawl. I mean, you look like a bunch of Jews. You look like a synagogue. Um, they're, you know, and since they're not Jewish, and they don't have the Jewish background, and it looks different, they go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I would remind you, of course, Jesus was a Jew. And that the new covenant began in Israel, in the temple, in synagogues. And so synagogues, temple, and Jewish things; those aren't opposed to our faith. They're not, but it's different, of course. You know, nowadays, you know, where we're living and so forth, the way it looks different. It's it doesn't look it doesn't look churchy, you know. It it you know you're not singing the right same the same kind of hymns I'm used to singing, and you're not going on the same day I used to go. And and by the way, you're also talking about observing different holidays than I used to observe, and and so it, it must be a cult. Must be a cult. You know, cults are bad things. And so they accuse you of going to a cult, losing your mind, turning into a Jew. And they use all manner, because they're family, they use all manner of leverage on you. You know, to try to get you not to do that and stop doing that and, and you're going nuts, you're going crazy, don't do that. And they'll, they'll, they will threaten you with, are you ready for this? They'll threaten you with your inheritance. The loss of your inheritance. They'll threaten you with certain benefits or uh, of the family, cutting you off, holding you in disdain. And a lot of that is just, it, it really, you know, up against your souls. It grates up against your souls hard because you, sometimes you, it's your parents. You love your parents. Besides, God has said, honor your father and mother. I mean, you're trying to honor your father and mother. And here they're opposed to you, trying to obey the Lord. I mean, the same parents who said, you know, you should obey the Lord. Here you are trying to obey the Lord, and all of a sudden they're taking issue with you. Because you're doing it. Or your spouse, or your brother, or your sister, or your aunts and uncles, your other family members, your good friend. And many of you, I know, have already had to go through some of that. The scripture is very emphatic, and it says you're supposed to make a clear choice. Look with me, chapter 13, verse 6. If your brother, your mother's son or your son or daughter or the wife you cherish or your friend who is as your own soul entice you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods whom neither you nor your fathers know of the gods of the peoples who are around you near or far from you from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to them or listen to them. Your eyes shall not pity them, nor shall you spare or conceal them. There's a lot of people who've come to this kind of a congregation and assembly to come and hear the instruction of the Lord. They've had to make some hard choices. They've had to say to their parents or their wife or their brother or their sister, I'm sorry. I need to go do this. I need to go and learn about the Lord here. And you go through the stigma and the disdain and the threats and the nonsense, you know, that only your family can lay on you. (laughs) Only the guilt trip your family can put on you. And the scripture says you have to make that choice. Don't make the choice of your family. Make the choice of the Lord. And if your family decides to be opposed to you and being opposed to the Lord, then choose the Lord. Choose the Lord over even a family member. The uh, Some of you have already experienced this to the good. I uh, Not to mention particular names, but the one in particular that I feel it's appropriate to share is, is uh, Brother Thomas, who was in our ministry. And I remember the first days that he started coming to the congregation. He was the congregational servant. And his family, when they first heard he was coming over here, they were, his mom was concerned, his sister was concerned. They, his family was very concerned. And I remember him coming to me and saying, man, you know, I, you know, my family's real concerned about me coming here. His wife wasn't sure whether he should be coming here or what. And we encouraged him. We just said, love him. Invite him. Encourage him. And to this day, even though Brother Thomas is not with us because he passed away, he passed away the day his family decided to come to a Passover. He died that day that they were going to come to a Passover and check out the congregation. Well, praise God. You know, God used him in a mighty way. His family now comes. They're part of this congregation. His family came and checked it out. His, his testimony was clear. He chose the Lord. He chose to obey the Lord. And they saw something real and genuine, and they came to check out what it was all about and, and and they're part of things now. Quite honestly, if you don't stand up for the Lord, nobody's going to change. Nobody's going to learn. Nobody's going to know. If you want your family to know about the Lord, they're never going to find out about the Lord unless you stand for the Lord. So be encouraged and stand for the Lord. Make your clear choice. Let them know. Be be courteous, be loving, and so forth. But but choose the Lord. Do you remember what the Messiah said? Very tear statement. Unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sister, you cannot be my disciple. Now, he wasn't suggesting that you're supposed to hate your family. What he's clearly talking about was, you have to make a choice for me to be my disciple. And even if it appears that it's at such sharp contrast with the rest of your family as though you love and hate at at that level, if it has to be at that level, then make the choice for me. Now, he's not suggesting that we hate our family. What he's saying is make a clear choice for me to follow me. You can't be my disciple unless you make the choice for me. By the way, if your family is coming, your brother, your sister is coming, and you decided to tag along with them, you can't be his disciple either. Unless you make a choice for the Lord. Just occupying space and coming along because somebody else is coming along is not making the choice for the Lord. You each need to make the choice to choose the Lord, to do it his way, the way he sees it. Finally, we have the community. Look at Verse 12. If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from a saying and have seduced the inhabitants of their city saying, let us go and serve other gods. Whom you have not known, then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. And if it is true in the matter established that the abomination has been among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. Then you shall gather all of its booty into the middle of the uh, open square and burn the city and all of its booty with the fire as a whole burnt offering to the lord your god and it shall be a ruin forever it shall never be rebuilt you know this commandment was never never ever kept and there's partly a reason for it because nobody including this passage of scripture is telling you to go out and raid cities because they disagree with the lord that's not what this is about God is the judge of all cities. God is the judge of all men. And if they need to be judged, God will do it. You and I are not instructed to go do that. What he's really talking about here is if the entire city that you're living in decides we're not going to follow the Lord, you will still choose me. You will still choose to follow me. If you're in a church... And all 400 of the people in the church say, we're not going to do that. But you know, that's what the Lord has told you to do. You better do it. Go and serve the Lord. Do what the Lord says. Well, you know, I'm money. I'm I'm in this congregation. They've got a lot of good things going on there. You know, they've got a lot of good stuff, and 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 I need. I feel like I need to stay there and be a witness and a testimony. You know what I have to say. You know what you should do is you should get up out of that place. Gather that whole place up. Get gather all the good things that are in that place. Make one great big pile of them. Put a match to them and make it a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And you get up and you go serve the Lord and quit fooling around. That's what this teaching is about. I don't care if there is 50 good things. There are 150 good things there. If that, what they're doing there is opposed to you following the Lord, then you leave that place and you go serve the Lord and you leave that to the Lord. Make it all an offering to the Lord. Just, Lord, I give you the whole thing. You have it. If that church is going to be opposed to you serving the Lord, give the Lord the whole church. Give him the whole thing. Give him the front doors, the people, the pastor. Give him the whole thing. And in your heart, give it all to the Lord. Make an offering to the Lord. Lord, you got him. Me? I'm going to go serve the Lord. And go serve the Lord. I mean, if look at, look at the way the commandment here. It's telling the children of Israel. If the whole city is opposed then burn the whole place down to the ground. Give it all to the Lord. Make it a burnt offering. (laughs) But you go serve the Lord. Make a choice. You don't make choices about serving God because everybody else is not doing it. You make choices because the Lord said to do it. And if the whole place is saying don't do it, then you don't follow that. You do whatever the Lord has said. Not what is the majority point of view. By the way, let me just clarify something with you. God plus you is a majority in this world. Did you know that? I don't care if the whole world is opposed to you. You and God are a majority point of view. I guarantee you, you will win. You will prevail. Because you're on the Lord's side. And there's no one, including the whole world, that can oppose the Lord. In the end, the Lord wins. Choose the winning side. Choose the blessing. Choose the one good thing. Choose it. Make that to be your choice. Now we come to another interesting area in chapter 14 that Moses says we have to make some choices about. I'm sure all of you are going to love to hear this one. Verse 1, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing. It's pretty clear. It's real clear. I mean, that's not, that's unambiguous. It says, don't eat detestable things. Well, what, what exactly are detestable things? Well, you can read this passage, or you can go to Leviticus chapter 11. It'll give you a full list. It will specify, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but it specifically specifies of the animals that walk around on legs. It talks about fish that are in the sea. It talks about birds. It talks about what is clean and unclean, what is detestable and what is not. And basically the rule of thumb, and this is not an absolute, but the rule of thumb is that which is of the domesticated flock is acceptable. That which is wild and got run over by the Mack truck is unacceptable. You know, you will not eat roadkill. That's detestable. Okay? You ever had one-wheel or two-wheel rabbit, you know, for supper? You know, you don't, you don't want that. It's detestable. I don't care how much gravy they put in it. It just, really, it's a rodent. Come on. Come on. It's a rodent. We don't eat rats. We don't eat mice. They're detestable. However, there's some men that don't have the same definition of detestable that God has. Some men list off certain other kinds of things. They say, oh, that's not detestable. That's a delicacy. Shrimp is detestable. Lobster is detestable, according to God. It's a delicacy for others. You have to make some decisions. You have to make some choices. What is holy and what is profane? What is clean and what is not clean? What is kosher and what is not kosher? What is called food by the Bible and what is called, you know, detestable by the Bible? Some people believe that as a result of the Messiah coming, that... God giving us the Holy Spirit, the work of redemption, and so forth, that when we all get saved, that somehow or another, that not only do we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and, and get this wonderful salvation and eternal life, but we also get a completely new digestive system from, from the lips right to the other end. And that you can eat this stuff that God said will put diseases on you like the Egyptians, and it won't affect you one bit at all. Matter of fact, all you have to do is say grace over it, and it's fine. There's no verses in the Bible that say that. It's a popular teaching, but it's not true. Now, which spiritual leaders are you going to listen to? Those that teach the commandments of the Lord, or those that tell you something else? Which will you call food, and clean, and holy, and proper? That which God has said is or that which God has said is not. Which way do you see it? Shall we do what the Lord says, or shall we do what we see? Well, you know, I like bacon. I like pork bacon. Uh, and I've been eating it for years. Now, now that I understand the instruction of the Lord, am I going to do what the Lord says, or am I going to do what, the way I see it? You've got to make some choices. Now, along the way here, maybe some of these choices have been made, some of these choices haven't been made. But Moses says, you've got to make these choices. In the course of your walk before God, you're going to have to make these choices. He's saying, choose this. Choose that which is clean. He said, you're holy. You've been chosen by God. Let me just fundamentally ask you this. Let's say that we're, let's, let's get in our time machine, move back 2,000 years ago. We're in Jerusalem. We're up at the Temple Mount. Do you think it would be appropriate for us to take this little piggy on a leash, and walk it into the court of Israel up by the altar there in the temple. Do you think that would be okay? Why do you think it would be okay to take that piggy and walk it into this tabernacle that's been raised up by the Messiah as a result of his resurrection? You know, the tabernacle of the living God that has the spirit of the living God that he made inside here after the pattern of the one in heaven. Is it appropriate to take the unclean in this tabernacle? It wasn't in that one over in Jerusalem, which doesn't exist anymore. How about this one that still exists? Well, we have to make some choices. Are we going to go by God's definition of holy and clean or the world's definition that just throws the whole concept of holy and clean out? Let's just not have that definition anymore. In fact, I know of a church down in Dallas, Texas. There was a brochure that was brought up to me. They had the word holiness written in red letters excuse me, they had it written in black letters, and then it had the international symbol, the circle with the slash in it, placed over the word holiness. This was a church. And it had the word holiness with this international symbol of a slash put over the top and said, we are not that. We're wholeness. W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. That's what they were teaching. We're Whole people. We're, we're, we're whole. We're into wholeness. But we're not into that Levitical, that law, that holiness stuff. By the way, that's, they were just bold enough to do it. I know of a lot of churches that don't have that symbol, but they think that way. What, what are we going to call holy? Are we going to call what God says is holy? Are we going to do what we think is whole or holy? Which choice are we going to make? Then he moves on to another area. This, For us Americans, this is a wonderful area. It has to do with money, what we do with money. And in verse 22 of chapter 14, it says, You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herd and your flock, in order that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And then it goes into some explanation about the tithe and how it is to be gathered and how it is to be done. But it's it's real clear. The Lord says, I want you to take the first and the best part of your increase, and I want you to give that to me. I want you to be the steward of that part which belongs to me. I want you to use that and minister to it. You know what most people do with the the, the business of tithing? And, And there's lots of folks that tithe, lots of Christians that tithe. But you know what's different about their idea of tithing, what most churches teach about tithing versus what Moses said about tithing? It says the tithe goes to three places. This is what Moses says. The tithe goes to three places. It can go to the common storehouse for the public worship, It can go to the Levite, he who teaches you, and it can go to the widow and the orphan. And basically the rules go like this. You gather up your tithe and you look about you in your immediate vicinity. And if there's a widow and an orphan who is in need, you go minister to them with the tithe. First, if their needs are met, then you go looking for the Levite, the one who teaches you and ministers to you. And you make sure that his needs are met. And then if there's any left, you take that to the common storehouse. The exact opposite is taught by most churches today. Bring it all into the common storehouse. Then we'll make sure that the preacher gets covered and the widow and the orphan, I'm I'm sorry, we don't have anything left. And in this particular country, we have relegated the widow and the orphan to the care of the state and not to us, not to the brethren. One of the things that you will find in this congregation, which is true, that the monies that are collected here in this congregation go first to the needs of the widow and the orphan, and to the poor, the brethren, who need help. Then there's some that go to those who teach, and the rest is left to tend to the work that needs to be done here so that we can all come in a public worship. But the priorities are very clear. It goes to those who are in the congregation who have need first. It goes to meet needs, to help people. We take the responsibility for our brethren, to minister. And we manage God's resources for that, not the other way around. And when you take your tithe, brethren, and you do not put it in the place that is ministering to those priorities, then you have surrendered your position as the manager of God's resources. And it turns out you really have not done anything at all, which the Lord told you to do, because he expects you to be the one who looks over those resources to make sure that those needs are met. You are not supposed to, as men in the congregation, sit back. And when you hear of a widow who is in need, you do not get to sit back and say, well, gee, I'm sorry, we just don't have anything more. I'm, um, I, You know, send the poor lady on her way. The scripture is very clear about it, that if a man, a husband does that, He's about to make his own wife a widow, and then she can incur the same result. That's justice from God. Whenever I hear of a widow who is in need, I want to make sure we go and help, because it could be my life, because it could be my wife who could be the next widow in need. That's what this scripture says about tithing. The big deal is not to be concerned about the 10% off the top. The big deal here is what do you do with it? How do you minister with it? You will minister in this way with it is what the instruction of tithing is. It's already a given that it belongs to the Lord and you're going to give it to the Lord. What's really the emphasis here is you better go and you better minister with it. Now what we do collectively as a congregation is to collaborate with each other and improve the skill at which that we do that ministry. That's the reason why we come together and work together because we, you know, there's several of us who know about the different brethren and we're networked into the relationships and, and by being in community and covenanting together, we, we can be aware of what the needs are and, and, and go and and be effective in ministering. We, we co-labor together to, to do what the Lord wants done. That's the reason why we pool our money and bring it together to meet the needs. But if you feel led, that God wants you to take your tithe and go minister to that place, go do it. Because the commandment is for you to be the steward of God's resources. The next thing that uh, God teaches us about money, besides tithing, look in chapter 15 at verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. And this is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner, you may exact it, but from your hand, uh, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. You know what's really talking about money? You've got to make some decisions. you got to be willing to forgive other people of their debts. You know, have you ever met a man who just can't, you know, let the debt go? You know, it's just got to be paid to him. You know, you have to be willing to forgive other people who owe you. And we know there's a direct correlation in our spiritual walk with regard to sins that were taught by the Messiah specifically. You want forgiveness from the Lord? Forgive someone else. Lord, forgive us our trespasses even as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, listen to the prayer, the logic of that prayer. Even as I'm willing to forgive of them, forgive me in the same way. You remember the story the Messiah told of the master and the man uh, owed a, a great debt to him and, and, and they hauled him in and he begged for forgiveness. And the master forgave him. And then he goes out and another man owed him just a little bit. And he hauled him in and he beat him and tortured him and he wouldn't forgive him. And how the Lord taught the principle, you know, you you have to forgive if you want to be forgiven. Well, that's exactly what Moses is telling us. When it comes to money, guys, you need to make some fundamental decisions. Besides tithing, you need to make some other decisions about money. You need to be willing to forgive debts owed you. And God basically used to set up a system where debts were forgiven every seven years. Nobody went beyond seven years. And it's not just money we're talking about. It's debts owed to you, maybe in honor or esteem or whatever, but there ought to be a time limit of when you just say enough is enough. Okay, it's forgiven. You know, we tried to do the right and just thing, but it's okay. That didn't work out. Just forgive it. Just forgive it. Let's move on. By the way, you'll be much more peaceful in your life if you do this you'll have a lot more peace in your life. And the Lord says, if you're going to walk before me and you're going to do it my way, be in the business and be known for forgiving others. Because I, God, that's what I do. I'm in the business of forgiving you. So how about you be in the same business with me and you forgive others, their debts. The third item that he tells us about money has to do with the issue of the poor of our brethren, about giving to the poor. Of our brethren, now, brethren, we 're always going to have the poor with us, the Messiah told us we 're always going to have and, and they 're going to come up, and you know why they're poor because they haven't quite exercised the good financial judgment skills that you have, or they had a little spell of bad luck or didn't you know that little business venture didn 't quite work out, whatever it was, but maybe there was some poor judgment, and, and maybe they 've done it repeatedly, and here they are, they're poor, and, and you know if they get a little gumption and get up and so whatever the reason. You're going to have poor of the brethren among you. And they have needs. Are we going to help them or not? It's a simple question. Are we going to help them or not? When it comes to the decisions about money, are we going to help the poor of our brethren or not? Well, let us look at chapter 15, beginning at verse 7, and see what Moses' instruction is. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers... In any of your towns and your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Basically, the way it works is this: is that when the poor of the brethren hears, if you go up to him and you say, "Hey, you know, you uh, look, you remember I gave you some last week, you know, and and here you are again, you know," and so and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not going to give you the whole thing. I'll give you part right now, and and then you're going to have to improve. That's not what the Scripture says. That is not what the Scripture says. What the Scripture says is you're supposed to take your hand, and you're supposed to hold it out with your hand open like this, and you don't take your hand back until he says he doesn't need anymore. You don't determine what the need is. You let him determine what the need is. You don't take your hand back until he says, I have enough. That's giving to the poor. And if he takes all of it, then he takes all of it. You give what you have. Because you, in your infinite wise management skills, are able to acquire more money. And I'm certain if you dump your hand there, I'm sure you'll fill your hand very quickly thereafter. And in the meantime, you will have helped the poor of your brother. Now, I know that in financial terms, that doesn't sound very sound. That doesn't sound very reasonable. But you see, we're making choices about God here. And one of the choices that we're making is that my life is not dependent on how much money I have. My life is dependent upon my God. And my God is able and sufficient to meet all my needs. And he uses me as his servant to help minister to the needs of others. I'm not here to serve the Lord and get rich at the same time, especially to the harm of other brethren. I guarantee you that you will go and give an account, and the Lord will announce if you have done the other, that you got your reward in full, and you don't want to show up in the kingdom and hear those words. You want to get to the kingdom and hear him say, I have your reward sitting here because you gave that trashy money and helped some other brother out. You weren't looking at that as your reward. Your reward was here with me in full. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus, the poor man, begging for alms. Rich man wouldn't give him any. That's not a fictitious story. Yeshua gave that as real men with real names and a real conversation that took place in eternity. Those people were real people. Just like you and me, like today, real people. If the Lord gives you opportunity and you see the poor of your brethren and they ask for help and they need help, you better get your hand out there and you better get it open because God is able, is watching, and He is able to take care of your needs. You help them. If you're going to walk before the Lord, you're going to have to make some choices about helping the poor of the brethren. Verse 12 through 18 talks about you as a servant. Talks about what you're going to do about your resources and so forth. And basically what it comes down to is it talks about the commandment, reviewing again the commandment of the bond servant. You know, the servant who serves out of the reason of love, not for the reason for gain, not for the reason of gain is the reason we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord for the reason of love, not for profit. And the bond servant is not concerned about whether or not he'll get paid for the service he renders, his master will take care of him, not not this fellow. And if you're the bondservant of the Lord and you have an opportunity to serve and to help, even if it's to cost you some money to go and serve and help, you will go and serve to help. And then it comes to a portion called that of the firstborn. We don't have a whole lot of time for me to go into the details of it, but the scripture is full of all kinds of instruction, There at the end of chapter 15 and in many places throughout Torah about sanctifying the firstborn, the first things for me, the Lord. Make, make those things special for me, for the Lord. Give me the best part. Make your service to me to be the best part. Whatsoever you do it, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Make it like it's the firstborn. Make that to be your service. And that's the reason why the tithe is always to be the first part, the first part of it, not the last part of it, the first good bite of the apple, not that last part, which is the seeds and the core, and it's not too nice. The Lord wants the first bite of the apple, not the last bite. You don't want to eat the last bite. Can you imagine if somebody was there with you and you were hungry and he said, hey, can I have a bite of your apple? He said, well, sure. So he eats the whole apple down to the core and hands it to you. He says, hey, there's your bite. That wasn't a good bite. That wasn't the good part. The Lord wants the good part. Now we come to the last category, which has to do with worship. And the Lord gives to us in chapter 16. He begins in verse 1. He says, observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover. And what follows in this chapter is about celebrating the Passover Celebrating the feast of unleavened bread, celebrating the feast of weeks, and celebrating the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths. Now, it's not a complete listing of all the observances. In fact, Sabbath is not specifically mentioned here, nor the feast of first fruits, nor Yom Kippur or the feast of trumpets. And because it's not trying to be a list of all the different observances and all of the uh, God's appointed times and so forth. What what it's really trying to emphasize here is, it's trying to say is is that when you come to observe and worship, do it to me, do it for me. Paul says the same thing to us in Romans 14. One man counts this day to be holy, another man counts that day to be holy. Whatever the case is, do it unto the Lord and not unto men. You know, honestly, a lot of people come into the Messianic Assembly and they don't yet know about Sabbath. You know, here we are, air of Shabbat, observing Sabbath, and we're coming in, and a lot of you still don't quite know what Sabbath really is yet. It's okay, you're learning. But just coming in here and following the crowd in here on Friday night is not keeping Sabbath, guys. Sabbath is something of the heart. It's something that's happening down in here. It's a rest for the soul, a refreshment, a joy. A delight of the home. Ceasing from your labors and so forth. And each one of the festivals are like that. They're celebrations. They're festivals of rejoicing and remembering key things that have happened and remembering how we came to be and why we're here and why we assemble and and who the Lord is and remembering the great and awesome things that God has done in the past and recognizing that we have a relationship with him and, and we come to rejoice before the Lord, not to mark off on our calendar, okay, we did that one, what's next? You know, there's a lot of people who go to church, and they've been going to church for so long. It's rote. It's rote routine. You know, in fact, I've heard people tell me, says, said, man, when them doors are open, we're there. You know, Wednesday night, Sunday night, you know, Sunday morning, we're there. You know, if the door comes open, we're there. Why? Well, because uh, that's what we've always done. That's not a reason. That's not a reason. And by the way, that's what Israel did. You know, Israel started just making it a rote routine. They would come to these festivals in the temple and they'd uh, put up the sacrifices that God specified they should do. You know what the prophets finally said about Israel when they just made it a rote routine? You know what the prophets said? I am sick of your sacrifices and burnt offerings. They were speaking for the Lord. I am sick of it. You know what? If we had a modern-day prophet today, and he was talking to the New Covenant Church, you know what he would say? I'm sick of your Sunday morning worship hymn of praise, your hymn of stewardship, your hymn of thanksgiving. I'm sick of them. Because there's nothing inside. It's just rote routine. What the Scripture is saying here, you need to make some choices. The choice that the Lord is calling for us is to come to the Lord, to choose the Lord, to do it the way he sees it, not the way we see it. In fact, let me read to you the final words of this portion as he talks about uh, the observance that we come. In um, chapter 16, verse 16 and 17, it says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booze, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. If you want to come before the Lord? Then you need to come to to meet the Lord. Don't just come because everybody's going. And when it says empty-handed, handed. Don't come empty handed. Let me tell you what that, what that really means. It says you're also not supposed to come empty hearted because every gift comes from the heart. Every good gift comes from the heart, not from the rote routine. So if you've got a gift in your hand, it's because you consciously made some decisions in here. I want to give this to the Lord. And he says, what should you give to the Lord? Even as the Lord has blessed you. As you're able. It doesn't have to be a set amount. As you're able, as the Lord has blessed you, examine, how has the Lord blessed me? What good things have the Lord done to me? Let me do that to the Lord. Let me show back to the Lord that I recognize what he's done for me. Come, bring that part. Don't come empty-handed because it means you're empty-hearted. And he doesn't want an empty heart. Because an empty heart means you didn't make any choice. There was no choices made. The choices that God calls for us to make in our walk of faith. To choose him. Make him God. Not us. Him. To choose God over others. To listen. To be in fellowship with others that have made the choice to choose him to be God. To make choices to do the things and and consume the things that God said was holy. To do that which is clean and holy and proper before the Lord. To manage our affairs our increases according to the rules of God in fellowship with other brethren, and when we come before the Lord, to come to be with the Lord, to celebrate, to remember, and to rejoice before the Lord, to make those kinds of choices. Then we'll be following the Lord. Then we'll see the blessing. And we won't follow after all the other ways that the world wants to offer us as falsehoods. Amen. For more information about Lion and Lamb Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is post office box seven two zero nine six eight norman Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is www.lionlamb.net. Thank you.